And uh, we've been kind of doing them a little bit out of order for these first couple, but if you want to jump to Exodus 20 and join me there. Uh, before we get into the message, I just want to pray and ask God that he would speak to our hearts and encourage us and challenge us this morning. So let's pray together. God, we are really grateful just for your love for us. We're grateful for your presence. We're grateful that we can be together as a church family, whether sitting in these pews or watching online. Uh, that you are present with us and you bind us, you unify us, God. We are grateful for your care. I pray, God, that you would speak to us as we open your word, that you would challenge us in who we are as followers of you. Uh, you would challenge us in our search for you. God, you know exactly the things that we wrestle with and struggle with, so I pray that you would uh, meet us where we are, that you would love us, and let us have a deep sense of awareness of who you are and that love. And so speak to us now this morning. In your name, amen. And so I have a privilege to uh, introduce you to my niece, Kendall. She is going to be uh, helping us with uh, our message today. Um, she's the um, youngest girl of my older sister-in-law. And so when I met Kendall, she was like this tall. Um, little baby, always gave me dirty looks, but she smiles at me now. So that was pretty good. Uh, but she is an artist. And um, since today we're talking about making things, I've asked Kendall if she could join us and help a little bit with the message today. And so um, I'm going to ask her a couple questions here while she's getting things set up. But um, one thing, uh, just introduce yourself and why don't you tell everybody what is it that got you into art? Why do you love art? Um, yeah, what, and what kind of th different things do you do? Um, I got into art when I was probably in middle school. Um, I don't know exactly what made me get into art. Um, I just really enjoyed it. But right now, I make a lot of pottery and paintings, and that's my favorite form of mediums. Awesome. Now we have some examples of different things that she's done. I think we're, is it, did it sink? There we go. So this is her studio right here. And what are some of these things that we're looking at? So these are some commissions for an individual that wanted plates and bowls. Awesome. Next one. And then this is a mug that I did. Um, it's a moon mug. And yeah, that's actually one of my favorite pieces that I've made. And you've also done a lot of paintings as well. So you see a couple of them. Next one. You can just kind of go through those a little bit. Yeah, this is a painting that I did for an individual titled Beauty from Ashes. And the background is made out of ash. Awesome. And so. Kendall has a studio down in the West Loop. West Town. West Town, so somewhere in that really cool neighborhood. Um, and does classes and does the commissions. Does Actually, my daughter Bailey does a lot of stuff with her. And so uh, really excited that she can come. And what, do you know what you're going to be making for us today? Or is that we're going to be surprised? <laughs> I'm going to make a picture. Ooh, ooh, very nice. And so she's going to be making some stuff for us while um, we go through this. And the reason why I asked Kendall to help me out today is that we're talking about making things, about making stuff. Uh, maybe you do art like what she does or you like doing art. Maybe you remember playing with Play-Doh when you were younger. Uh, at some point, all of us, for better or worse, for success or failure, we've all made something. We've done some type of art. We used our hands to create or to make something. 
When we go all the way to the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of Genesis, we hear how humanity was made, how God created people. It tells us in Genesis 2, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, similar to how Kindle getting her hands uh, dirty and making something out of the clay, the image here in Genesis is of God down in the dirt, forming and making the human with his hands. It's a personal image. People are not assembly line products, but handcrafted. In fact, in Psalm 139, it speaks of how God's heart comes through toward people in the creating process. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Then I awake and I am still with you. You hear this psalm, and it doesn't sound like God is indifferent to us, does it? It doesn't sound like his thoughts even wander away from us. God God has made us and made us extraordinary. You are not a project that God outsourced, but was personally, intimately involved in. And specifically, how did he make us? How did he handcraft us? How did he form us? Well, back in Genesis, it tells us that God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move around the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Humanity is made in God's likeness in his image that doesn't mean that we have his facial features if you know when somebody puts if you were to see my kids standing next to me a lot of times people say oh they look like you there's resemblance of there that's not what it's talking about we don't carry God's facial features but what does it mean by his image it is a physical manifestation of God's essence scholar John Walton explains it that the image of God in people provides them the capacity not only to serve as God's representatives, but also the capacity to be and act like him. So made in the image of God means that we are made to represent God, made to be like him in his character, his values, and his plans. One part of scripture puts it, be holy as he is holy. Be how God has made you. Be like him act your image be who you were made to be and not only were we made to represent him but we were also made to join him in what he's doing it says right after this in genesis god blessed the people and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground 
People were made to care for God's creation, to be part of what he is doing in creation. That's how he made us. When God creates, it is awesome. You were handcrafted, wonderfully made, an image bearer of God, meant to show others and remind others what he is like, represent him, and join him in what he is doing. Understanding this, I think that for some of us, that's the most important thing that we needed to hear today. Because of maybe what others say about us, maybe what we think about ourselves, maybe shame that we feel, or words of guilt, or just we haven't had somebody affirm us in who we are. You need to know and be clear on what God thinks about you. His thoughts are that he has made somebody wonderful. You are handcrafted, wonderfully made, an image bearer of God meant to show who he is to the world. Now this is of vital importance to understand how, who God is and how he has made us and what he has made us to do because it helps us understand the significance of the second commandment. The second commandment is this. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. You shall not make an idol. During this time, people in the different cultures would make things to worship. What would happen is that the people at this time would take wood or stone or clay and they would create an image of a deity. It's one of the reasons why I think it's important that Kendall said she's making a, a picture. She's not making a deity. So it's just kind of, we're clear. We're good today. So let's make that, we're good. But in this time, when, this would, when they would make stuff, different rituals would be done. And the idea was that the idol would take on the presence of the deity. And so then in turn, they would pray to the idol, worship toward the idol, sacrifice to the idol for some they may be creating something to depict one of the cultural gods for others it might have been the idea of creating something to depict Yahweh so imagine Kendall here making something creating some type of an image of, of a god or a deity and then somebody else taking that to their home and it would become the focal point of their worship who they would pray to, who they would bring their requests to, who they would bring their troubles to, their needs to. They would bring it to this thing that somebody had made. And to whatever the reason, whether it was a cultural God or a depiction of Yahweh, whatever the option, what God is saying is pretty clear. Don't do that. Don't do this. This is not how you are to worship me. I don't want this to even be a thought of how you interact with me. And ancient Israel had to be continually reminded of this fact. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says, 
God says to them, You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like an animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, as you now are. He says in the beginning of that, to make idols is corruption. This is horrible to do this type of a thing. It says in one of the prophets will later say, they adorn it with, talking about um, making idols, he says they adorn it with silver and gold, they fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. Why is this such an abomination? Why was this seen as such an evil thing? Well, remember... If you've been with us while we've been going through these commands, or the first time, what we've been saying is that the commands reveal to us who God is, his character, what he's like, how he wants us to be in relationship with him. By blocking this practice, by saying this is an abomination, what does that tell us about God? Well, it tells us that we can't minimize the creator down into something that he has created, into something that we have created. We cannot minimize God. You can supersize your fast food combo, but you cannot downsize God. You cannot make him less than what he is. The all-powerful, all-knowing, majestic creator doesn't fit into a statue or anything else that we would make. We can't silence God's voice or mute his character. God spoke creation into existence. God spoke to Abraham and Moses directly. God spoke through the prophets. God speaks through Jesus. God speaks through his word. Statues don't talk. Idols can't speak. They're mute. And that's the opposite of God. Because God is not a mute God. He is never silent. We can't minimize the creator. We can't silence God. We can't make an idol to take our place. You and I, people, were meant to be the active, active image of God engaged in the world. We were not meant to be making dormant images of him, which would only distort who he is and then do nothing. His image bearers were meant to bless the world, meant to tell the good news about him everywhere. The idols that we make take our place and don't do any of that. They just sit there doing nothing. And God is not a do-nothing, quiet God. Last, we can't give our hearts, our worship, to another. God must take the most important central place in our hearts. It's why he says he's a jealous God, because he wants our worship. He is not going to share our affections. He wants to take first place in our heart, and no one else should be there. That's his place. 
We can't minimize the Creator. We can't silence God's voice. We can't make an idol to take our place. We can't give our hearts to another. In Isaiah, talking about one who makes idols, it says this, No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, Half of this stuff I use for fuel. I even bake bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? And that's really the bottom line when we think about idols. An idol is a lie. It is not who God is. It is not what God is like. It is not who we are or what we are supposed to be about. Idols are a lie that attempted to minimize God, attempted to mute his voice and character, attempted to prevent his image from going forth and being known. Idols are a lie that pulls our hearts away from God, splits our loyalty to him, and distracts our love being toward him, but also experiencing his love toward us. Now you hear this about idols and you might be thinking, well, I'm good then. I mean, I don't have any idols in my house. There's no little statues that I pray to. I don't have any depictions of Jesus in wood or stone or anything. We don't have anything. I, I don't have to worry about these idols. Actually, idolatry is a massive issue. Idolatry is a huge issue in the world today. It's a huge issue in our world, our culture, in who we are as people. For all of us, this is an issue. The idea of elevating something in our lives to the place of utmost importance is a modern issue as well as an ancient one. God wants our hearts God wants our hearts as much as he wanted those who were hearing this for the first time. The idea of not trusting God's presence and provision, of not trusting, not taking him at his word, is as much something that we struggle with as our spiritual ancestors do. We trust in what we make and see rather than trusting God and who he is and what he's told us. And the reality is that idolatry is rampant. And not only our world today, but even the church. And you and I have to be honest about how it's true in our own lives. There are things in our day-to-day -day which we elevate to a place that they should not have. One of those modern, and I'm, I'm purposely not using a joke about a certain singing competition in this message. I will not utter that title. So I'm not referring to, okay, go ahead. Um, so there's different idols in our modern world today. One of them is greed. One of them is greed. You know, well, I'm not a greedy person. But the truth is, is that some of us, we pursued above all else, a bigger portfolio, more stuff, the next promotion, higher, more in our bank account. That is the most important thing to us and that which we obsess with. For others, it might be relationships seeing our significant other as our everything, or expecting them to treat us as their most important thing, seeing our identity 
in our relationships, even within it's our kids, or obtaining a relationship. Politics is a modern idol. The merging of religion and politics is one of the biggest idols in our country today, causing the most damage. Comfort, a sense of safety, a sense of security, knowing what will happen, no risks. For some, this is the thing that we manage our lives around and is of most importance is everything going to be okay. Sexuality, our attractions, our orientations, the act itself, pleasure, this is of the most important thing for some. Rights and freedom, a culture where people should be able to do whatever they want is in direct opposition to a God who says, love me above everything and love your neighbor above yourself. Entertainment, sports, hobbies, celebrities, video games, whatever it is for pleasure, that becomes the thing hedonistically we pursue. But at the end of the day, there's also the self. I am what's most important. I should be able to do whatever I want. You can't tell me what to do. And in some situations, we might have an argument for that, but we have to ask ourselves, are we saying that to God? Are we putting ourselves in the most important place rather than him? Now, please don't get this wrong. There is nothing in and of itself wrong with the things in this, well, greed is wrong, but the things that I, money, things like that. But things get out of whack. These things become wrong when we elevate them higher than God. When they take the first place in our hearts. Think about it like this. Uh, the Mandalorian show has been a huge show in our world over the last couple of years, as it should be. I know I'm biased. Pedro Pascal was recently, who plays the Mandalorian, um, he was recently cast in another show called The Last of Us. His contract for this new show states that it will be in first position for him. A Collider article explains that in TV speak, first position means that show takes precedence over any other shows an actor may be a part of. So if there is a scheduling conflict, the show that's in first position wins out. So it's part of the contract. If you have two different places that you need to be, you're contractually obligated to be at the place where you, that's in first position. So he, now for nerds like myself who freaked out about this, he basically does voiceover work. It all works out. But of the different projects that he goes with, the new show is in first position. Bring it back to this discussion of idols. There is nothing wrong with this list of things. However, none of them should be in the first position of our lives. When we move one of these into first position, when God should be there, that is the definition of idolatry. God should be in first position. God should saturate our lives. So when there is a conflict, when there is tension, when there is what should I do, God is in first position. And I follow him. I show him. I am obedient to him. 
I'm faithful to him. Idolatry is putting one of these in the first position and then changing and morphing God to fit the new diagram, the new paradigm. This is wrong. It's an issue of loyalty. Who has the loyalty of your heart? God or one of these modern idols? Or is it one of some, something not on that list? God wants our loyalty. Now we think about modern idols like this. We also need to be careful to worship God for who he is, not a false version of him. And so I'm adding another thing to the list. It's not going to be on the thing. But as believers, people who are part of a faith community, we can make an idol out of the Jesus experience rather than following Jesus for who he is. When, when we only want to talk about Jesus inside the walls of church and not think of the implications of him outside the walls, then we are misrepresenting what Jesus is about. When we only want to worship with songs, but not ask about the gospel and how it impacts everything going on in our culture, then we are misrepresenting God's heart and what Jesus is about. Any misrepresentation of Jesus is creating an image of him that is untrue. And hence, we can create an idol out of the experience of Jesus rather than maintaining a true relationship with him. There is nothing going on outside these walls that the gospel isn't connected to. There is nothing going on in our world that is not a gospel issue. And when we compartmentalize and say, that's not a church thing, that's not a faith thing, that's something else, that is speaking through a lens of idolatry. Because we have compartmentalized our faith we have distorted Jesus and are not being faithful to him in all things, but only when it's comfortable and easy in our groups and our services and our songs. We have to be, be loyal to him in all things. And that even means outside of this building. So you and I have to be honest. What are the idols in your life? What are the things, and let me just level the playing field here. Every single one of us, me, every single one of you in here, every single one of you watching online, every single one of us has some type of idols in our life. Every one of us. And we can't, as much as we want, might want to deny it, we're in denial. It's true. It may be something on the list that I went through. It might be something else. What is the thing that you elevate to a level of our priority that it shouldn't have? What is in the first position of your heart? The thing that guides everything, directs everything, the thing that you identify with. To be a Christian, to follow Jesus is to have him first and have him be the one that we see and live and interact with everything. If that's not true about us, then we are in idolatry. 
we have to be honest about what those idols are. In what ways do you minimize God? What, which ways do you distort the reality of Jesus? In what ways do we try to fit Jesus into our comfort level rather than being taking risks and doing difficult things for him? And the other question that we have to ask is this. What are you making? What are you doing with your hands? Because remember, this is today I said we're talking about making things today. And so Kendall has been working on this picture, and it's, it's looking pretty good as far as I... I know I'm biased. I mean, she's my niece, but it looks pretty cool to me. And um, uh, she can't... Her hands are messy. She's a, she's a messy kid, so I got to move the mic for her right here. And so, how, like, how are you, where are you at in the process? How's, like, how much longer would it take you? Where would you go from there? So, I've been raising the walls to make it go higher. Um, and once it gets to the height that I want it to go, I would add a shape to it, maybe make it more curved. And then I would add the lip of the pitcher for where the water would come out. Awesome. And how long do you think that whole process would take? Um, probably about 20 to 30 minutes. Four minutes, awesome. And then you have to put it in your cool oven back at your uh, shop. and The kiln. <laughs> it's an oven. Yes. Um, uh, I think she does hot pockets in there and things like that. Um, I've seen it. Um, and then you'll paint it. And so once it's done, like, mm -hmm. it's, like you're taking pictures of it and stuff, what do you do with it at that point? Yeah, so then I would try and sell the piece and a percentage would go back to a safe home that I used to work at um, in Nepal that I did art therapy at and it would support some of the girls there in that home. Awesome. We actually have some pictures. Can you go to the next slide? So she, uh, we were just talking this uh, morning, Kendall had an art fair over this last weekend and had like over 100 pieces and sold tons of them like what she has some stuff she brought here in the lobby and what's there is all that's left so was able to sell all these different pieces and then next slide uh, and that's her website we'll come back to that go to the next one okay so what is this so this is from my time while i was living overseas uh this is an art therapy group of survivors that i was working with there and survivors in what sense, like? Of human trafficking. So working with human, and what would you, what would you do with them? So we would um, make a lot of art, and we would also, um, it was art therapy, so it was using the arts in a therapeutic, therapeutic means for individuals of uh, trafficking. And, uh, and how much time were you over there? I was there for three months. Three months, and so actually for those uh, know Mark and Josie, Kendall was able to connect with them. Well, they were there, and that's pretty cool. They were kind of bummed that they weren't going to be here to see you today. And so working with a lot of kids. And, and so now, when you do uh, make these pieces, when you, um, like everything you did at the fair yesterday, you're taking a portion of those, and you're giving it back to the safe house. And mm -hmm. so the kids who come to the safe house, how does being at the, what does being at the safe house do to them? Like, how is it a good thing for mm -hmm. them? So safe homes are basically where individuals go after they're rescued, and it provides a safe place for um, young women that have been taken out of the sex industry. And so when they're at this home, it provides a safe place, but they also um, 
provide food and um, education, and we were also helping with teaching English there. Um, so it just is a really well-rounded um, place, and it's just focusing on restoring lives. And how long have you been working with them? Like been part of this? Yeah, so I lived overseas in 2019. So since then, um, I've worked with a lot of different anti-trafficking organizations. Um, ever since I was 18, I was working with anti-trafficking. So, but since 2019, I have been working directly with this safe home. And so knowing that, okay, the last two years, that you've been able to make things to support them and knowing that the center is helping these women, being restored. What does that do for you? Like, how does that impact you? Um, I think it provides a sense of purpose and fullness to what I do and the gifts that God has given me so that I can give back and help other people. Awesome. And so you think about what Kendall's doing and what she's making and the things that she has made and the fact that she's using them to support this safe house and what it's, the safe house is doing in these people's lives, that's what you and I are supposed to be doing with all of the things that we have, with all of our stuff, with whatever we can make. In fact, and it says in Ephesians, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When it says that we're God's handiwork, the word there is poem, poem, poem. You are God's poetic work. You are God's masterpiece. You are something God has made to go and do stuff, to go and make things, to go and do good things. And God has gifted you and made you specifically to be able to do things that only you can do that he, and as he works through you to do them. And so all of the things that we have, whether it's our job, our relationships, our home, our money, the stuff that we have, the experiences, you weren't given those things to worship them. You were given those things to do good things with. We were given those things to make Jesus known, to make his love known. Idolatry is to make things or take things others made and worship them. To follow Jesus is to make things that point people to Jesus so that they can know him and worship him. And so not only do we have to ask what are the idols in our life, we have to ask and we need to pray prayers of surrender. God, help me surrender these things to you. How can I use these things to make you known? Your job, your home, your stuff, your talents, whatever it is, you were made to make him known. We weren't made to make little things to worship. That is a, you can read all the verses I read, those are lame experiences when God wants us to be part of something grand and huge and what he's doing in the world. What can you do with how God has made you? What are the idols in your life that need to be surrendered for his purposes? We're going to end today by receiving communion. We're going to do it a little bit different today. Um, you sh if you didn't get one of the um, communion cups when you came in, we'll have somebody, raise your hand and we'll have somebody bring you one of those. Um, 
We typically take a moment just of quiet before we receive communion to think about what we've heard and to allow God's word just to penetrate our hearts and allow him to speak to us. Um, Hannah's going to bring us a song this morning that speaks to the idea of idols and helping us to contemplate the reality of idols in our lives and who we are before God and how God wants to use us. As she does this, the lyrics are going to be on the screen, right? So I want you to, I want us to be meditating on the reality of where these words, the lyrics of this song take us. As we think about the idols in our life and what we can do with how God has made us. And so let's, let's come before the Lord and once the song is over, we'll receive communion. And so God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would challenge us to be vulnerable and honest about the idols that we have in our life that you would be, uh, show us and reveal to us the things that try to get into first position. God, I pray that you would penetrate our hearts with truth and your love. Speak to us now. Let's listen to this song and then we'll receive communion. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze. If that's the measure you must take to crush the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too Till the congregations few Then have revival Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social And seek the Lord and wait for what he has in store and know that great is your reward, so just be hopeful, cause you can sing all you want to, yes you can, sing all you want to, you can sing all you want to, and still get it wrong, Sing all you want. 
put before my God is an idol. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. And anything that I give all my love is an idol. Maybe it's your stuff, maybe it's money, maybe it's a home, maybe it's security. Maybe it's our families, maybe it's our kids, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's our hurts, maybe it's an individual, maybe it's you. What has first place in your heart? Communion reminds us of who is first, of who must be all, of who must saturate everything about us of who wins, who has won, and who should be winning in our hearts. 
It's because of his death on the cross that we have life. It's because of his resurrection. We have, our sins are forgiven and we have that new life. It's because of him. Nothing else can compete with Jesus. Nothing else can do what he has done. Nothing else can provide what he provides. We need to trust in him. Let's receive communion. God, we pray and we thank you so much for who you are. We pray and we're grateful for the God that you are, for the love you have for us, for the way you provide, for the work that you are worthy of worship. God, forgive us for the times when we direct our hearts to other things or other people or claim it for ourselves. God, help us to identify the idols in our life. Help us to crush them if we need to. Whatever it would take to make you first. God, let us see the ways that we can show people who you are and the love that you have shown us. You are everything and you deserve everything, God. We are grateful for who you are and all that you've done. Let's receive communion together. stand just worshiping Jesus and acknowledging that he is everything and no one else compares it's about uh, just what she does and the work she's doing in Nepal um, other big thing is I've been mentioning the kids ministry um, I'm really excited about the fact that we can have our kids here um, and the renovations that we're going to be doing we really need some help we've been kind of promoting this on social media and in our emails if anybody can stick around to help us move some things downstairs uh, for the construction and everything that's going to be starting this week, that would be a huge help. And so I'm going to say if you gather in the gym kind of by Ed over by that basketball uh, hoop over there, uh, the kid what I'm referring to, uh, he'll kind of direct us on what we're doing. If you can, that'd be great. Uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Plan on sticking around for lunch then. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks, everyone.